Welcome to Keeping at Marion. I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. And we are two Marian priests, keeping the Word of God in imitation of Our Lady and meditating on the daily events of our lives. Today, we're going to continue Keeping at Marion with the next two verses. We did not reach our hoped-for attempt at three verses. That would be a record for <laughs> us so far. Uh, so we're going to try to inch through verses 6 and 7 of the letter of Jude. Do you want to read it or you want me to this time? Sure, I'll be happy to. <clears throat> so starting with verse 6. And the angels that did not keep their own position, but left their proper dwelling, have been kept by him in eternal chains in the deepest darkness until the judgment of the great day. And then verse 7 continues, Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise acted immorally and indulged in unnatural lust, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Wow. Well, that's just cheery, isn't it? Very much so. <laughs> a little bit of doom and gloom. You, you even have uh, in some of the interpretations there, uh, gloom. Um, where it says that the, the angels are kept in, in darkness and gloom. Right. So for once, I think we're both using the same Bible translation. So that's nice. Yes, I brought my RSV. <laughs> I think that this other uh, commentary that we're also using uses the NAV, I believe. We'll have to look into that. Yes. So uh, we mentioned that. I mentioned that just in case you're wondering because there may be differences in the translation. Sometimes it is helpful to look at different translations can give different colors or shades to the same words and yeah. draw out the meaning a bit more. So I'm going to go historical for a moment. Uh, we had mentioned this before we turned on the mics. Uh, so we might be wondering, what what are these angels who didn't keep their positions uh, and left their proper dwellings and now are in eternal change? Uh, okay, so there's a lot of ways to answer this. The first is that St. Jude is likely referring to an apocryphal, so it comes from a Greek word meaning hidden, a book that we don't have in our Bibles. And just a, another little historical fact is in the time of St. Jude, there wasn't actually yet a canon of Scripture, mm -hmm. uh, even of Old Testament Scripture. You know, We often think that the people had the Bible kind of put together right. back then, but right. they didn't. Yeah, Jesus wasn't passing them out you know, before his ascension. Right. But here you go. <laughs> Hand these out to everybody. So it meant that there were other books that uh, were popular among the Jews of Jesus's day. And one of those is what is called First Enoch. And First Enoch has a lot of different things in it, but it has a story explaining Genesis 6, where we have the mysterious reference to the Nephilim. And, and I wanted to hit on this. It's not the main point of the letter by a long shot. Sure. But uh, if you look on YouTube, you'll find all sorts of mysterious uh, links between the Nephilim and people today and the rich or the powerful. And I think it's important just to clarify a few things sure. here. First is that the example pertains to us. So Jude, just like the first example about those who rescued from Egypt, this is also a warning to us. So it's less about uh, what literally happened. And so right. to make clear that even if Jude references what we call an apocryphal book, he's not thereby endorsing everything in there as canonical or as literally true. So what does that mean? So the Jews in that time saw the sons of God in Genesis 6 as angels who saw the sons of, or the daughters of men, the women, and had sexual relations with them, and so had this different race, the Nephilim. 
uh, well, okay, I'll, I'll give you the mic. I can keep well, going on, but yes, you had mentioned the, something about St. Augustine. Exactly. So. so this is what we were talking about is that uh, Augustine in his writings does go through the verses of Genesis, and this would be those sections right before um, the flood, the great flood. So this is already after, you know, the Cain and Abel. And so you're kind of following human history from two different perspectives. Um, that from the lineage of Cain and that of the lineage of Seth, which is uh, the, the, the child or the son that they had after the, the, the death of, or the murder, I should say, of Abel. Um, and so Augustine proposes, and he looks at this idea, and of course the first problem that he has with the concept of angels having sexual relations with men is, well, uh, a matter of, well, matter. Right. That is, the angels are lacking it. Right. Uh, so it's impossible in, in the proper sense, if you will, for there to be such relations since these are spiritual beings. And this is a, a firm belief of the church. Um, that while we are human beings, you know, we, as part of our, our, our nature, we both have uh, matter and spirit, but angels are pure spirits, you know, different. They don't, you know, think and operate in the same ways that we do, that we come to an understanding of knowledge, um, whereas angels are, well, given what they are to know by God himself. And this isn't a devolve into a treatise on right. <laughs> angelology and demonology, but these are important things for us to kind of think about because it is interesting, especially in pop culture, and boy, am I, you know, uh, a fan of it, that is to look and see the different interpretations that various people come up with these things. But oftentimes you'll get that sense that, that uh, demons um, and angels are like alien beings or something like that, um, that, that have matter and, and, and they don't. Now, that being said, they can appear to have matter. Uh, we, we do have, obviously when they become visible before, you know, Mary or before people in the old Testament, you know, um, and of course this is, we're going to get to this, right? Because when we get to Sodom and Gomorrah, part of the story are two angels are sent, right. you know, so people are seeing them, you know? And so there's, that's, that's a whole nother thing. Oh, how is that to be? How are we to understand that? You know, and it can, can lead to some really amazing thought experiments, but we bring this up simply so that we can, well, better understand what Jude is referring to. Also understanding the place in which he's coming to these understandings of things, um, you know, and, and that is a an important part of reading scripture. You know, uh, first and foremost, it's just reading scripture. Like that's the number one thing. But two, it is helpful, can be helpful to look at the time in which they were writing, the things that were going on in their lives, you know, the actual conflicts that were common in their place. All these things can then help us to have a, well, more deeper understanding of those things. And then in like manner, to see, well, how do these scriptures apply to our lives in our current era as the Christians, uh, you know, as our forebears have done for the past 2,000 years in each and every time when they have various uh, crises coming up, 
um, they would then go to the scriptures and say, okay, well, how does this apply to me now? And it is always something to say there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the context is very helpful, even a little bit of angelology, because uh, in the new age uh, stuff that you can find on the internet, there's all sorts of ideas about angels and demons and what they can do or, or cannot do. And to the point of St. Augustine, you know, angels don't have bodies, uh, so there's no conception that can happen through the interaction of an angel or a demon. Right. And to hold with that, that yes, there are demons associated with sexual sins. I mean, those who have participated in exorcisms or know of exorcism ministry, um, there are a lot of demons associated with things like pornography or other sexual sins that are very prevalent today. So it's not to say that they obviously don't want to deface uh, human sexuality. That properly speaking, of course, they can't conceive. Yeah. And to draw it in terms of Our Lady, uh, the total opposite example, of course, is that when Saint Gabriel comes to her, he does not, you know, actually intervene to make her conceive. And Pope Benedict brings this out because some people will comment about, well, the Annunciation is kind of like a myth, like the the pagan myths, you know, that there's this God that comes and makes this virgin conceive. Pope Benedict points out that. Well, there's actually no violence and there's no actual inter- sexual interaction, right. but rather it is surely by the gentle presence of the Holy Spirit and that the angel only makes the announcement. That's right. You know? And so I think it's a very good kind of contraposition to, to juxtapose, you know, this kind of violence that comes from demons uh, as compared to how it actually does work in the interaction between humans and angels in a positive way in relationship with God. Absolutely. And it also strikes me at, at the, the phenomenon of demonic possession, mm-hmm. you know, where, where uh, a demon is able to, to a certain extent, possess mm-hmm. a human body. Well, it seems that they would do so because, well, they don't have one themselves. And in fact, there's a kind of jealousy right. over that fact. And then double down on the fact that God himself, creator of everything, um, sends his son to then, you know, assume a human body, which is wholly his own, which is real, you know, and that even, you know, that just adds more fuel to the fire. It's like, well, we want one too. You, I'm not saying that that's what's exactly going on, right? But but one can kind of see, well, well what, what upsets them so much? And obviously there's a lot, I think, that upsets them. Yes. So uh, we'll try to keep moving forward because we could talk for hours and, and good and interesting topics. Uh, because the key here is that they did not retain their own position. So here's the word, keep, yeah. shows up once again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, they did not keep their own position. And there's a lack of humility in that. Uh, we don't know what the sin of the demons literally consisted in in terms of uh, what literally happened. Yeah. The scripture does not speak of that. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas has many questions in his Summa Theologiae where he talks about what kind of sin could it be since they don't have bodies, so it could be like gluttony, um, nor could it be lust. So he says it could be at most envy or pride. Uh, and pride would make sense because, you know, they don't keep their own position, you know. So humility is recognizing the place that the Lord has designated for me, uh, which doesn't mean just kind of I put you in your place in a negative way. Yeah. But recognizing the place that God has put me is for my own good. Yes. Uh, and you mentioned in the other episode, just previous, about you know the door, as it were, is open. You know, so Satan can can leave as he wants. And so I think uh, Milton in his Paradise Lost, you know, the famous quote: "It's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven." Yeah. Um, and C.S. Lewis, who said, you know, the the gates of hell are locked from the inside. It's not God Himself, you know, pushing people out as much as people who don't want to keep the position that has been 
destined for them in heaven. And that gets to other issues about predestination that I think we've touched on a little bit before that you know God predestines positions for yeah. angels and for us. Yeah, yeah. And you know you mentioned kind of angels or well, even demons mostly being jealous. St. Faustina has a curious quote in her diary where she says, if angels could be envious of us, they would envy two things, Holy Communion and suffering. And it's an interesting thing to think about because part of the, one of the traditions of the church as to why the demons fell is their, their jealousy, their envy of the glory that we have as human beings with a body. And part of that comes because only uh, Jesus could only assume human nature. He can't assume angelic nature uh, because he can assume a body. <laughs> uh, he can't assume an angelic nature uh, in the same way. So it is a great privilege that we have as human beings to have a body and to have even suffering as an ability to make an offering to the Lord. But one of the positions that these demons, seeing this glory, refuse to stay in their positions. They would not serve. So Milton's quote, prefer to, to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. So they left their own position. They left their proper dwelling. Uh, that And they have been kept by God in eternal chains in the deepest darkness until the judgment of the great day. Uh, well, yes, that's where we, I, you know, the dose of sarcasm talk about the cheeriness of this passage. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this gets to what is in at the end of verse 7 as well about eternal fire. So hell is not a lovely topic. Uh, we don't like to talk about it. And certainly uh, St. Teresa of Avila lamented that in her day too many priests would go around trying to instill fear of hellfire. And the Lord in the diary makes clear he would rather us trust uh, in him and walk towards heaven than to run out of fear. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to remember that, yes, there are eternal chains. There is eternal fire. Uh, as a remembrance that we do have free will. And that's what Jude is hitting at here with, you know, there's three examples. We've mentioned a couple times, there are always triplets, uh, groups of three here in this letter. So there's three examples in these verses. There's the Hebrews who were saved from Egypt. There are the angels who did not stay in their position. And then there are those in Sodom and Gomorrah and their surrounding cities who fell into sin. And in each of these, what Jude is hitting at in this whole letter is make the right choice. <laughs> Uh, and sometimes today when people have an issue with hell, which I understand it's, it's scary, which it should be. You know, if you're before a cliff and you're about to fall off, you would be afraid because you understand that that's going to cause pain and death. Uh, similarly, here when we, we talk about hell, it's recognition, okay, I can make a choice. Many people have a difficulty with that today because we just want to keep making a different choice. Sure. Never have anything definitive. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts or two cents before I... No, absolutely. I mean, there's nothing much more to add to that, but it's, it is, as you've you know pointed out, <clears throat> 100% um, a decision that every soul makes, whether it's an angelic soul or a human soul. Mm -hmm. um, it is the, you know, the acceptance of do I accept what God has created, you know, uh, or do I reject it? I mean, it is, it is in almost that simple, um, you know, talking about, you know, the angels fall um, and becoming demons, you know, I can't help but think of Chesterton who puts it in a little bit different terms, but also a very helpful term saying that the angels can fly because they take themselves lightly 
and the angels fell because of their gravity. Oh, the demons fell. The, the demons fell. fell. Sorry, yep. you know, or he, as he said, the devils fell because mm-hmm. of gravity. You know, but but gravity is another way of taking. You know, it's a play on words, right? It's not that they fall because of the pull right. of the earth, right? But rather their seriousness. Mm-hmm. They take themselves too seriously, and this is always a danger for everyone. You know, if, if there's one thing that Chesterton warns about is like, do, do not take things so seriously. Take your love of God seriously. Take your love of neighbor seriously. But do not take yourself seriously because you are a very silly little creature. Those are my <laughs> words, not his, but that's his point. Right. We, we must never lose the fact that we are creatures and that we are loved into, cre- you know, into creation. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to encounter suffering and that mm-hmm. we're not going to encounter uh, confusing things. Mm-hmm. And it's without, if we didn't have times that tried us, um, things that weren't confusing, then we wouldn't then have the opportunities to turn to the Lord in trust. Mm-hmm. You know, once we're in heaven, you know, as we hear, you know, the greatest is, is, is you know, the, the three things are you know, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So well, when you're face to face with God the Father who loves you so much, you don't have to have faith in that anymore. You see it. You're experiencing it. You don't have to have hope for attaining it because you're already there. Mm-hmm. But until then, we need faith and hope, and those are supernaturally given to us. And so we should continually beg for the gift of remaining little um, and accepting, in a sense, you know, our, our lot in life. And that sounds very horrible to some people. Like, no, you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Right. And there's a degree of truth in that, that, that the Lord does give us strength and power and wisdom to, to move not only ourselves, but our loved ones, and even in some cases, society closer to the loving God. And then, you know, now I'll get back to, you know, the, where, when I was talking about Augustine, like, that's what he proposes our, the, the the sons of God and the daughters of men, the sons of God, Augustine says, are those who made a name for the Lord. Those are the lineage of Seth. Mm-hmm. Those are the holy ones. Whereas the, the lineage of Cain made a name for themselves. And those, he says, are the daughters of men. And it's when those started to mingle, mm-hmm. and you almost get like a precursor, a pre, uh, even in, early on in Genesis, you know, we know about all the, the Jewish laws and everything. And it wasn't to be like, this law is absolute, but it was always to say, you are a people particularly mine and you are to behave uh-huh. accordingly. You're not to act like everybody else does. Right. So it wasn't that eating pig was so bad. Uh-huh. It was just like, that's what they do. We're going to do something different. Right. You know, and so it's always, as you've pointed out at the very beginning, it's for our good. And that is a very hard thing to swallow sometimes because because of our freedom, we want to think that we know better. You right. Know, so. And I would say that hits at the very essence, I believe, of the sin. So the, the sin of the first example is the disbelief that led to disobedience. So the people rescued from Egypt did not obey God. They did not heed his word and so actually never made it into the promised land. Uh, here we have pride not trusting in God and not trusting that it is for our good, but rather desiring other things beyond, as it were, what he has willed or destined for us um, that leads to this judgment, uh, judgment on the great day, presumably 
the day of Jesus' second coming, right. which is the final judgment. You know, I won't belabor this too much, but as Catholics, we understand the distinction between the particular judgment of each person at the moment of death and the final judgment uh, when not it's not that everybody gets rejudged as if they hadn't been fairly judged before, but as it were, God reveals the truth of all of history. So I see, for instance, how my life affected yours or even affected all the people watching us, for instance, right now. Whereas my particular judgment more refers to me and my own actions yeah. uh, at my own death. So that's something that we keep in mind because uh, there is a healthy respect and awareness of the judgment that does come. And judgment that isn't Jesus just standing in a big chair looking at us and uh, angry at us, <laughs> but rather... Bad, bad, good, uh, okay. <laughs> because sometimes we have that kind of idea of yeah. an indifferent judge that we don't know who's willing to condemn us if he's not in a good mood. Uh, and that's more of, again, secular ideas. I mentioned in the last episode, you know, implicit memories and how we associate with our parents. But judgment is about uh, Jesus revealing light. And we see everything when there is much light. You know, when we're here in the studio and there's no light on, uh, we don't see very much. <laughs> but if you have all the light on, then you begin to see even the dust that we didn't clean up. Uh, in the same way, judgment is when we're simply before the Lord and we realize, oh, okay, there's all sorts of things that I can see aren't good and I can see their effects as well that I often want to hide from. So right. judgment is more about revelation of the truth, you know, the truth of my actions, the truth of what I've done. And before I read the next line uh, to actually move on is, I know people sometimes ask, like, well, why did God even put Adam and Eve to the test, as it were? Why, why do they even have to have a, a test like that? And it gets to what I've been saying. You know, These three examples emphasize, and Jude's whole point of this letter is, you have free will. You need to make a choice. And sure, could God have not made a specific request to Adam and Eve? Well, yes, but then they wouldn't actually exercise their will, yeah. and then we'd be animals or robots. That's right. We wouldn't actually know him or love him freely. Uh, and so that is the inescapable part of being human. We have, need to make a choice. And we can make the choice to keep our own position, like Our Lady, you know, to take the example of Chesterton, who didn't take herself so so heavily, so seriously, and so was elevated to the height of heaven because of her humility, or the angels that took themselves too seriously and fell from gravity. Yeah, so, and that reminds me of which is going to come up right here, um, how C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity parses out the difference between man's, man's, men, mm -hmm. and, and animals, mm -hmm. um, that we are to act according to our nature, that what wolves do, well, they do wolfy things. They, they act according to their nature. Um, and they might kill and eat things because it's according to a wolf's nature mm -hmm. to gain sustenance like that. Now, humans, C.S. Lewis points out, are the only creatures uh, that have material, that is, um, that can act contrary to their nature. Sure, that, that's that a good point. We, we are given, and, and it's because of our free will. So we wouldn't say necessarily like that alligator ate a person. That is a bad alligator. It's like, well, not really. It's just doing what it's designed to do. It right. may be bad for our right. circumstances because right. that might have been a really nice person that he ate. But he doesn't know that because he's an alligator. Right. You know. But we would say that of a human being that 
murdered and killed another human being. Mm -hmm. That there's, there's, you know, so we intuitively know this, that there is a difference between mankind and all the other animals that are out there Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't sit there and necessarily chastise, you know, I mean, I've seen this, I, I gotta bring it up now. It's in my mind, but one of our brothers loves feeding the birds, (laughs) loves feeding the birds. He's always out there with the bird feeders. Well, every once in a while we get the hawk coming around Mm -hmm. And this Which brother, I love the hawk, by the way. I love the hawk, too. But the brother, understandably, gets frustrated when he goes outside and he sees a pile of feathers, meaning one of the birds got it. And I look at him, I'm like, brother, I thought you wanted to feed the birds. The hawk is also a bird. You're just simply plumping these birds up <laughs> for this other bird. Now, again, like this is part of the creation that God has set up before us. Mm-hmm. And we can see, understandably so, something that seems so jarring as death as being something that is contrary to a a, a loving God. Mm -hmm. But what is, you know, once we make the mistake, you know, we're totally jump. I'm jumping the gun right now. But when we make the the mistake of, you know, Adam and Eve making that choice Mm -hmm. to disobey what God had requested them to do, he doesn't sit idly by. He immediately moves and promises to right this wrong. But then what he does is spectacularly weird. He goes ahead and says, well, the thing that you've introduced into humanity, that is death, I'm now going to transform into life. Mm-hmm. Right? And, of course, that's what Christ does. Is He comes and he doesn't do what people were expecting him to do. That is to conquer uh, the Roman you know, empire Mm -hmm. to get them out of Israel. No, he's here to conquer a more important and more evil, sinister empire. And that is the the empire of the devil, i.e. sin, you know, and how does he do that? He takes on death upon himself and transforms it into new life. You know, so all that is a a long way of, of explaining why we should trust God because he's always acting um, an extreme love and charity going through extreme lengths to go ahead and, and bring us to himself and that he is worthy of that trust. There might be a lot of people in our lives that have not earned that trust and may sadly be the case till the day we die. But God earns our trust and deserves our trust. If there's anything that we should trust, it's him, not the media, not you or I. I mean, we're doing our best to bring, but we're both, you know, fallible human beings that can make mistakes, have bad days, eat the wrong food, whatever, you know, and 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 in the end, it's as God is is you know there to to guide us ever closer to Himself, so long as we can come to Him in trust and faithfulness. Amen to that. So, in the first verse, number five, Paul, uh, similar to Jude in First Corinthians makes this warning that we should not fall into the same kind of unbelief and disobedience to lose the status as being the chosen rescued people of God. In verse 6, we have similarly uh, another example by which Jude's warning us that we should not leave the place of salvation, our position of salvation in Christ, uh, this access given us in Christ, and so suffer an eternal punishment like these demons. So, Let's inch towards verse 7 to meet our goal for the day. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah uh, is proverbial 
both biblically and in culture and referring to homosexual activity and sin. So Jude emphasizes here uh, that they acted immorally and indulged in unnatural lust. Uh, the actual Greek here refers to going after other flesh, which is a euphemism for the practice of homosexuality, since Sodom and Gomorrah is notorious for that. Uh, the desire of the men of Sodom to seek sexual relations, especially as with Lot's guest, which would be just an interesting twist here because uh, verse 6 refers to the desire of angels yes. to have sexual activity with humans, and now it's the desire of humans to have sexual activity with angels. Um, Even though they don't know that they're angels. Right, right. They just think that they're, hey, these are strangers that haven't been... Right. <laughs> but I, I would more want to emphasize, and I would... I'm, I thought of reading this, but maybe for time's sake, I'll just say that the numbers in the catechism, of course, when we get to the catechism, when it talks about the sixth commandment, there's mm -hmm. a lot yes, the church right. teaches about sexual morality and immorality. And there are important paragraphs, 2357 to 2359, that talk about chastity and homosexuality. And I think uh, it's easy today to take kind of pot shots uh, at homosexual activity as sure. Uh, the worst of all. And certainly we can talk about how it is unnatural in the sense that God designed men and women to be together. But as the catechism says, we need to be careful also to not discriminate against people who suffer from same-sex attraction, even as we understandably say that sin is always sin. Um, and I put that out there because it can be easy for us to hone in on that. But yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah represent, as it were, all that is unnatural, all that, because you just mentioned this, like, we are the only ones that can go against our own nature. You know, yeah. hawks, of course, eat smaller birds. Alligators right. eat other beasts. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, but the, the key point here about sin is that it's not just against like a divine commandment. This gets into ideas of like natural law, um, that there's there are things inscribed on our hearts that are pretty clear to us that we know at the end of the day, yeah, okay, that yeah. probably wasn't the best thing. And sin is also going against reason that sense. It, it's going against what we just know to be true and what we know to be good. And so, yes, we can talk about in a particular way Sodom and Gomorrah, this, you know, immoral actions, their unnatural lust. We can get to those specifics, but I, I bring it up in this way because if we focus on that, what can happen is many people may say, well, I'm heterosexual. You know, I, I don't suffer from same-sex attraction, so, you know, I'm kind of good. You know, I don't have to worry about this. And, and the whole point of this paragraph is it's a warning to all Christians, yeah. you know, to you, to me, to everybody listening. As Jude starts in verse 5, I, want, I desire to remind you. you know, why? Because in, earlier in the letter, he's talking about there are people who enter in secretly to pervert the gospel, to take away the salvation that yeah. God has offered and want to promote licentiousness and deny Jesus in their actions and in our actions. And so just for me, since this is the word of God directed to us, to take to heart uh, you know, that we all struggle in certain ways with sin. And, and the point here is that God doesn't leave sin unpunished. Not in the sense that he's always around the corner like the, the secret right. policeman, yeah. you know, with a, a baton, you know, yeah. to beat you yeah. when you sin. But in this sense that uh, we sometimes have this idea today almost like, well, God is merciful, you know, so he basically just kind of closes his eyes, you know, and mm -hmm. he's not mm -hmm. too concerned about sure. sin. And then if he does take it seriously, we're kind of like, whoa, like what happened? Or, or um, you know, when there's justice at hand, we kind of get shocked. Um, but again, I mentioned in the last episode, 
mercy and justice go together in God. And sin is a serious thing, and, and he allows the punishment. He sends punishment, for instance, on Sodom and Gomorrah as a reminder, visible reminder, yeah. you know, to the Jews. And if you go there today, uh, there's aren't reconstructed, but if you go to that area, it's pretty dead desert. Uh, yeah. It is not very pleasant. In fact, I remember being on pilgrimage with Steve Ray, uh, and we got out in Jericho, and it was so hot uh, in that area. I think it was a the field temperatures in the 130s. Wow. That uh, he got out of the bus. I remember he had his phone. It literally turned off. It, it had a message of, you know, warning too hot, turning off. Uh, it, it certainly felt like we walked into yeah. an oven, right, <laughs> to right. say the least. Yeah. No, it's it's also like this this warning and promise, so to speak, of, of punishment being doled out because of sin. You know, it's... <clears throat> It's almost as if, you know, or it is as if God's saying, look, you know, if, if you don't want to follow the rules, so to speak, like I've given you the, the, the map, if you will, uh, of course, that map or those rules get more intense when, when we get to Moses with the, you know, Decalogue um, and, and, and so forth. But even still, like, you know, there are things that you don't do um, that are against our nature. Uh, and he's, he's kind of saying, like, well, if you just want to see what's going to happen, then I'll allow that to happen so that you can see in actuality what it leads to. Right. You know, and, and honestly, like, that's we, we oftentimes don't think that we, we don't really comprehend how bad Sodom and Gomorrah is. Mm-hmm. And I think that is beautifully teased out when Abram, of course, Lot was sent there. You know, Lot is the nephew that uh, Abram brought with him. Um, But because there's too many of them, he's like, well, you pick your, you know, so he picked what seemed to be this very prosperous and Mm -hmm. upbeat part of, you know, the land and everything. He's like, I'm going to go there. They're they're by the, by the sea. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it sounds like a really, you know, great place. Well, we can presume that that Lot, like Abram, was someone who was trying to seek the one true God when he was with Abram. Mm-hmm. But when he separates from Abram, and later on we catch up with him, he too has been influenced and corrupted by the people of Sodom. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, when the, the the townsfolk want to have their way with these angels, not knowing that they're angels, mm-hmm. but they are guests of Abram. Abram not probably quite realizing that they're angels either. I can't quite recall if he knew that or not. Um, But he puts a priority on being a proper host, Mm -hmm. you know, to these guests and wants to protect these guests at all odds, even to the extent of offering his own virgin daughters, as he calls them, right. To right. the rabble that's outside his house to kind of like, here, here's a consolation prize or something. Right. And it's like, that's horrible. That's absolutely right. atrocious. In fact, like, yeah, we wouldn't stand for that behavior now. Like right. like any father who would offer up their, I mean, that's just repugnant. However, in this society in which he was living, that seemed like a pretty groovy thing to do. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it's like, how, how bad must things have really been in that society? And the whole place was was defunct. Right. There were no, you know, Abraham's like, how about 50? How about 40? How right. about 30? You know, and God's like, how about zero? 
There's nobody <laughs> except for Lot, which is why he had well, made him, well, which is why he made him leave. Well, he right Lot because he was the kinfolk, but we can already see like he's on a bad yes. path, and 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 then of course we see that his you know his wife and his daughters continue to do right, right, but you know the but point God being even pulls them out. It right, you know that that God is showing us not so much that the way I'm reading it. He just he's like, look, this is where this goes. You turn away from me. Right. Things get really bad really fast. It's as simple as that. You know, but his love and mercy is is, is still an extended to Lot. Even though Lot is doing stupid things, he, he tries to save him and the family. Right. And Jude's point here is to hit home to the Christians their need to take into account what they have heard once for all with the scriptures, because mm-hmm. sometimes being sinners, we want to uh, try again. You know, is it going to work? Uh, can we learn for ourselves whether there's really going to be good effects or bad effects, you know, for our choices? And Jude's point is, no, it, it's it'll have bad effects. <laughs> You've been fully informed. You have the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, you don't need new examples. You don't need to learn for yourself. And to your point, you know, we live in a society that's probably in many ways worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, with unnatural vices and sexuality promoted everywhere in a way that displeases the Lord. And I think, to your point, we need to take to heart, it's so easy to live in this culture and not even realize that we kind of drink in its values. And I think in terms of fear, try to wrap up here soon so we we don't go on too long, but for me on a psychological level, so, you know, I I've been privileged to get a master's in psychology, so I, I examine things not only biblically and theologically, but try to think about the dynamics of the heart and emotions. And, you know, the gospel brings joy, peace, happiness, because, well, great, you know, Jesus saved us. Uh, but this brings a lot of fear, and you can kind of see a clash, like, well, how does this fit together? And what Jude's pointing out here is people pervert the grace. So this is in verse 4, pervert the grace of our God and licentiousness and deny our master and Lord Jesus Christ. The point being, you know, sin, sexuality, and sin can be very attractive. And so it is almost a stopgap measure of like to put the brakes to say like it looks all good, you know, because there's a, a in the entry of uh, one of the entries of St. Faustina in her diary, she has the image of people who go to hell and it's a very beautiful path. Mm. But then they fall off the precipice yeah. and there's no return. Right. Whereas people going to heaven is it's thorny, it's got rocks, they fall, they keep getting up and then they reach their their gate and it's filled with peace and joy. And I think of something of Father Mike Schmitz. I listened to one of his homilies, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago when I was working out. And uh, he commented on some atheist, I think magician recently. Mm. This is on social media. I'm not on social media very much at all. So I, I, forgive me, there's probably a lot of little loose ends of the story. But he, he had a Christian come to him at the end of one of his acts and hand him a Bible. Okay. And... Uh, he commented on Twitter or some social platform later, you know, people would think that I would be offended. You know, I'm an atheist. They know I'm an atheist. And here is this Christian giving me a Bible. And how dare he? And he said, you know what? I actually am grateful that he did that because if he really believes hell exists and he says nothing to me yeah, and he thinks I'm on that path, yeah. he says, then how much must you hate me to not say anything? Sure. Like, yeah, and yeah. It, I mean, this is the paradox. It's like, right. he's an atheist. He doesn't even believe this. And yet he gets the human dynamic of like, you must hate me if you don't say anything to me. Yeah. If you're not going to warn me that I'm walking to death, you know, to the worst thing possible, then 
that's just sheer negligence, which doesn't mean like we should go out and, and proclaim to people and sin like, oh, watch out, you're going to go to hell. Right. No, that's, but, that's the other extreme right. <laughs> that we can but, fall into, you know. But it does mean that we need to be aware of our responsibility yeah. as Christians to reach out to people first by grace. But one of the things I would want to emphasize here is that Jude's writing to Christians. So he's em emphasizing this to people who should know. Yes. Not to all the sinners out there who That's may right. not have heard the gospel or it was never presented to them in a way they could really accept. He's speaking to us, to, to Christians. You know, Jesus in the gospels often says, you know, you little faith. But he says it to his disciples. He's not saying that to the prostitute, to the tax collector, to the weak people coming to them for forgiveness. He's saying that to us. Right. And similarly, Jude is so harsh to us. He's saying, you know and the Holy Spirit, one of his gifts is the gift of fear, of holy fear, not a fear of God's going to smite me and, you know, I'm going to hell, but a healthy fear recognizes, no, I don't want to offend the Lord. And I want to love him. I want to please him. And a, and a healthy fear recognizes, yeah, I don't want to go to hell. That's a good thing. We should have a healthy fear, not a, a scruple. It shouldn't, you know, uh, torment us. But just like me, I don't want to be bitten by a rattlesnake yeah. you know, when I grew up in Texas, but I, I don't get into paroxysm of fear over sure. it, but I know when I open the door, sure. I need to look down. And that's what Jude is getting at here. It's healthy reminders against disbelief and disobedience, against pride, and against this unnatural practice of sexuality and falling into what we call intemperance, so all the ways that we rely on pleasure, uh, whether through sexuality or food or otherwise. Um, because he says here at the end, they serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. They serve as an example for us. Not something that should consume all of our time, but nonetheless, something to be aware of. Yeah. So that's all I have to say. I don't know if there's anything you want to add at the end there, Tim. No, I mean, that's that's all uh, good and true. I, it is something that we have to, to constantly, that's why it's so good to, to read these types of things, Um so that we can remember, as we were speaking in last episode, to remember the good things that the Lord has done for us, how he is totally 100%, you know, for us. Um, and that when he allows things, you know, to happen, um, they are, well, for our good. Mm -hmm. And and as long as we continue to, to proclaim that and ask for the grace to continue to believe that and remember that, then it'll keep us on the straight, you know, and narrow, uh, path, even if there are rocks and, and, right. you know, um, it, it isn't an easy road. Um, but it is the only road, you know, that is the, the road yeah. of, of Jesus Christ. You know, and he tells us, you know, like when he went up the mountain to, to accept his crucifixion, he's like, y'all got to do this too. <laughs> you know, he wasn't like, you know, just watch me do this and you gotta just kick back and relax kind of okay. thing. Uh, that this is a, a hard thing. But um, at the same time, you know, reflecting on um, the, you know, wanting to reach out to other people, you know, that we should want to share this gospel. You know, we should also, with fear and trembling, uh, pray on how to best do that. Because mm -hmm. uh, I've seen too many people, and, and, you know, God bless them in all sincerity, but too many people who do a truth dump, you mm -hmm. know, on people. They're like, I gave them the truth. I was like, yeah, but did you do it in a way that was right. digestible? Right. You know, it's like, you, you, it's no good if you don't do it in a way in which, you know, right. and sometimes that means, 
it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a long time of relationship and, and walking with this person and, you know, begging for the Holy Spirit to give you the right moments and the right words. Right. And all of that is time consuming. And we much rather be well distracted with other worldly things. Right. Thinking that, well, I'm a good Catholic. I go to mass. I, you know, go to confession every once in a while. And, I'm just going to now sit and whatever, do something that's not, you know, and it's not to say that, you know, trust me, I'm the king of recreation over here. But, you know, we, we have to also be mindfully, you know, praying about these things. Right. And uh, serious things. And I think that's yes. his point. Yeah. You know, is that just to keep in mind that the end of life, there are two paths. And yeah. that's, uh, you mentioned, you know, it's not an easy path following the Lord, but it's an even a harder path when we don't follow him at all, yeah. as Jude is pointing out. There's more pain in not following that's him. That's right, one that lasts for eternity and right. one that doesn't. So that's what we should truly fear. Even if it's understandable, we have fear of the cross. But what Jude is pointing out, this is what we ought to really fear, not following Jesus on his, his way that leads to heaven. So we'll wrap up for today. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Keeping Up Marion. I'm Father Thaddeus. And I'm Father Timothy. Thank you for joining us. Pray for us as we pray for you. Immaculata Virginis Maria Concepcio. Seat nobis salus protexio. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to watch it as well. You can find the video version of Keeping It Marian exclusively on divinemercyplus.org, the streaming site for all things Marian. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Visit shopmercy.org to order your copy of my new book, Shining in Spotless Splendor, Consecration to the Immaculate Conception. Again, this book is available on shopmercy.org. God bless you.